You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hi, welcome to Comeback City, where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today, we are talking about Wirt Rowland, the man who is responsible for many of Detroit's most beautiful early 20th century buildings. This episode is brought to you by Spectacular Strolls. Spectacular Strolls offers 15 historic walks in Detroit. Each walk is a self-guided 20-minute tour. Visit SpectacularStrolls.com to order your next Detroit history adventure. I'm Linda Shepard, and with me today is my co-host, Ed Brohart. Hey, Ed. Hi, Linda. Good to see you. You know, this is a great topic, and I know it's something that you are very interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, you know, our favorite subject, architecture. Right. And we're Roland um, is not very well known. We hear an awful lot about Albert Kahn, and, um, but we don't hear that much about Wirt Roland yet. <laughs> Maybe we can help do something about yes. that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I would have to say probably my favorite building in Detroit. And would you agree your favorite building also? The Guardian building. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. unbelievable. It, it's one of a beautiful. kind and, and so influential, too. Um well, you know, regarding our podcast, here we are, you know, we've had many, many topics. A lot of them touch on architecture. And almost every time the name Wirt Roland would come up. But he's mystery man. He was mystery man. Now, I had a little bit of background because I did a major paper in a, uh, a graduate course on architecture and art in the 20th century. And uh, I chose to do the Guardian building. And that was my really... Uh, I jumped in with both feet. So I did have some background on Wirt, but I talked more about the building than I did about him. And uh, so, you know, it just seems like his name comes up again and again and again. And why isn't he, you know, known more? No one what, talks about Why him. isn't he a giant of 20th century architecture? I, you know, I, I'd been to the Guardian building many times in the past, and I don't think I really realized who the architect was and the name didn't sound familiar and Mm -hmm. you know it's really kind of um it's kind of fun to find out who's behind that building it is it is and then that's a kind of a stepping off point to discover all the other important influences he had on not only detroit but american 20th century architecture yeah. So you have um, this book that you've used as a resource yes. uh, for our podcast today. And um, you said something really interesting to me. You said the man who wrote it, uh, his name is Michael Smith. Yes, that's right. And he wrote it because he realized that his five favorite buildings in Detroit were designed by Wirt Rowland. Yeah, it was uh, a, really a, a very interesting process. He talks a little bit in his introduction about, you know, why this book exists. So Michael G. Smith is um, was a um, illustrator, like a magazine and a commercial illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, also did photography, and I believe he had done some journalistic things. But, you know, he, he um, is out of the Detroit area. Uh, he may have some involvement with Wayne State University. I, they published his book, so it could be. Um, 
But he realized that in looking at all the iconic buildings in Detroit, just like we have, the name Wirt Roland kept popping up and he discovered that his five favorite structures in Detroit were all designed. What are those five um, favorites? Well, the Guardian Building, of course. Number one. The Penobscot Building. Wow. The Buell Building. Sheesh. The... um, the GM building oh. and the first national bank building on campus Martius. Oh. Those were all Wirt Roland. And then, of course, the iconic high schools, uh, Northern, Southwestern, uh, Southeastern, uh, and then right up to uh, later buildings like Pershing and, and Denby and uh, Pershing were, and Denby. Yeah, there were iconic buildings that all were that he designed. Yes, both yes. my my father went to Denby and my mom went to Pershing High School. Right, right. And they're both designed by Wirt Rowland. Yes, I believe Denby. Yes, uh, I know that he had involvement with it, but he definitely did Pershing. And also another very beautiful building he was involved with that is not in the city is Kirk in the Hills, the huge, enormous cathedral. That was his final commission, and it was actually erected uh, after he passed. I mean, quite a bit after because uh, it was expensive to build and there were, you know. Is that uh, on Long Lake Road? Long Lake Road, just uh, about a half mile, um, three-quarters of a mile west of Telegraph. Is that Bloomfield Hills? Or? Yeah, Bloomfield Hills, Bloomfield Township. And it is really something to come upon when you were driving down Long, Long Lake Road. It is spectacular. It really I mean, is. It is. I went to, uh, unhappily, it was a uh, it was a funeral and wake, but I went to a, a service there for uh, a very good friend who had taught with me and um, – uh, had been involved with the art. She and her husband had been involved. They were like founders of the WMJC uh, classical and jazz radio. Um, but uh, I was there and just sitting in, in that sanctuary and then afterwards in the uh, uh, in the social hall and, and it gave me a chance to kind of stroll around the grounds and everything. And it really is I've never been inside. Is it as beautiful inside as it is oh, outside? It's an incredible. It's incredible. It really does look like a European cathedral. It does, um, and we'll talk probably later on about this. But it's uh, where Roland had based it. Had had uh, um, what he had in mind was the beautiful Scottish cathedral, Melrose Abbey, and um, so it has a lot of elements there, and. Um, yeah, he he. It, it was it was his final commission, and um, because the people who completed it for him um, felt so strongly about work, they did not want to deviate from his original plan. So even though this was like it was finally completed twenty years after his death, uh, they managed to um, make any changes blend in perfectly with with his original design. And this was at the very end of his career. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was the end of his career was I guess kind of sad, but I don't know that you would really use that term. He was just a, an interesting in some ways quirky man, but um despite the fact that he was 
not well known to the average person. He was very well known and a giant within the architectural world. I mean, people knew his accomplishments. Um, but Wirt Roland, uh, unlike some, um, was not a self-promoter. You yeah, know? I get that feeling that he yeah. was kind of a quiet guy, not a big personality. And it, was, it wasn't like he was. Um, it wasn't like he was a hermit or anything like that. He was very easy to get along with. He had many, many friends. Uh, he never married. He ne- I don't know that he ever had relationships, but he had strong friendships. And one of the things that everyone agrees on was he was an amazing mentor to other architects in all the firms he was in. Uh, and that's why later on we can point out that his effect goes way beyond the actual buildings that he he himself designed. He sounds like a nice guy. Yeah. He really does. Yeah. So he was born in 1878 mm-hmm. in Clinton, Michigan, right. small town. Um, but he came upon his career uh, aspirations at a very, very young age. That's right. Eight years old, he said to his mother, I'm going to be an architect. <laughs> he happened to see um, some drawings in Harper's Magazine of Lambeth Palace. Palace in London. Yeah. In London and made up his mind. Right. He he was fascinated by uh, this particular building and, and uh, went well beyond just the – uh, just looking at the the exterior of it, but wanted to see, you know, what the insides looked like and what were the different components of it. Uh, and this was how he really approached, you know, his work very organically. So, uh, yeah, he made that decision. But, of course, I mean, he's in Clinton, Michigan. Um, there, there were no farmland. Yeah, there were no architectural firms. His dad was a uh, worked for uh, the local woolen mill. You know, so um, it was – there were no real opportunities. So you really had to be um, self-starting in order sounds to sounds like he was. This. A he real was. prodigy. Yeah. And he, you know, he he learned drafting initially through a correspondence course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, determination. Yeah. That seems to be – the key to success right. in a lot of ways, just determination. Yeah, all the great movers and shakers that we've talked right. about have, you know, have that that internal drive and spark. You're exactly you right. Know, perseverance. Absolutely. But yeah, you know, it started with his sketches of Gothic churches, um, which I find kind of interesting because, you know, back to our favorite building, the Guardian Building, is mm-hmm. just to me – the perfect combination of a gorgeous office building and Gothic church. Yeah, that's that 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 you know. Cathedral of Finance. The, it was it was dubbed the Cathedral of Finance, um, not by him but by others, and um, you know it's almost like his career was going full circle. I mean, he started out interested in cathedrals, and then he uh, his, his ended crowning, up yeah. his crowning achievement is a. Um, Real cathedral. Yeah, an Art Deco cathedral. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that whole cathedral of finance thing um, for the Guardian building, you know, it kind of almost bugged me a little bit, you know, because it's almost like, what, the worship of money? 
No, it's Mm. not about the worship of money. It's about that you are in a cathedral. cathedral. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I mean, it is so beautiful. Um, I belong to an urban sketching group. Uh, and our last meeting was at the Guardian building. And it was a little bit overwhelming mm-hmm. to do some sketching there because there's just so much. You kind of just have to focus on one tiny little portion of it because right. it's so beautiful. Yeah. It, it, you know, we had a great sketching group and, um, there were a couple people who had never been to the Guardian building before and they were just, totally blown away by how gorgeous it is. Yeah, there's a lot of longtime Detroiters that have never um, taken the time or even been aware to check in on this building. And when they do, it's like they discover this diamond in their midst. It is totally a diamond. That they never realized was there. I mean, it's like um, such a uh, soul-satisfying discovery like, oh my gosh, this was right right in front of me and I didn't know it. Talk about a treasure hunt. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is absolutely true. Um, I have to mention, you know, uh, going along the same lines, um, having focusing on one part in that building, and I think you could probably say this about a lot of his work, but especially The Guardian. Um, I, I do, I really enjoy Google Maps and I, I use it a lot and, I, and so I'm a review, you know, uh, whenever I, I go someplace, I'll get this thing. Do would you like to review this? You know? Oh, really? Because they can they they know where where you've been. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, and they're so, tracking you. Yeah, they're tracking you. So, um, they they did that on one of my trips to the Guardian Building, and um, I had taken a picture down there, a, a number of pictures, but one um, turns out to be one of the very favorite pictures. It's got more likes than anything. Oh, like really? Thousands. And what is a picture? <laughs> and it's a picture um, outside. It's none of the usual things you would do at the Guardian. It's outside along uh, Congress Street, and it's a close-up of an air duct in this um, very geometric with the beautiful um, uh, kind of beige granite behind it, uh, carved out of that, this very geometric, almost sort of Mayan, Aztec-looking opening. And I just did a close-up of it, and people love it. I mean, it's it's unexpected. And, uh, you know, I've got like hundreds and hundreds of— And it's outside. It's outside. There's a number of them. They're all And it's actually a functional air duct. That's all it is. It's a functional air duct that he chose to make beautiful and uh, 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 I love and, that. and blend in completely with the total design of the I building. I totally love that. Right. You know, the whole form and function. Function, yes. That's right. an art. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I was glad that I did that. In fact, I'm going to have that blown up into a, a piece that I can frame. That's so. a great idea. Yeah. You know, um, that Guardian building, they covered up the murals mm-hmm. and the ceiling at one point. I think that's one of the reasons that people aren't aware of it. People, you know, because during there was the, a drop ceiling during the fifties and sixties. You know, they they took that building and modernized it. Yeah, they modernized <laughs> it, and it was horrible. Modernized you know? the hell out yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, the 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 good news was that it 
that behind it all, you know, was all this magnificent stuff. So um, it wasn't, you know, thank goodness they didn't like tear it out. Right. And, uh, you know, put up drywall or something. Um, so they they must, you know, when they when the people went in and actually started tearing out that stuff and the drop ceilings and the walls that were covered up, it must have been like discovering, you know, the tombs King of Egypt. Tut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy smoke. <laughs> Why would they do, do that? that? I know. I know. It's it's But you're right, life. at least they didn't tear it apart, you know. Right. Rip it out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Cause really when you're there you just can't stop looking. No. That's true. And I'm gonna take another look at that air duct. <laughs> yeah. You'll see them along the side, you know. And it's something you can just kind of contemplate. That's what I did. I was, you know, shuffling along the street and I looked and they said what an interesting design, you know, and just snapped a picture. And it probably would have been a good subject for the urban sketchers because there's so much there. Yeah, right, right. That would have been great. So, yeah, so um, Wirt never went to school for architecture. No, he didn't. He he was a self-taught when I say self-taught, he just—he was just urban sketching like a crazy person. Urban sketching like a crazy person, but he also learned, you know, technique through these these online, not online, excuse me, through these mail order courses. And um, so he he went in, and this was back in the day where maybe you could get the foot your foot in the door by just showing what you could do. You know, uh, not everyone came in with. Um, you know, a, a huge uh, Yale you know, degree, or, Yale degree, or uh, uh, portfolio of work. Right. You know, they and because this was all new stuff. I mean, um, Detroit was desperate for for people to do this because, as we know, and we've talked about many times, Detroit just mushroomed. You know, between, he was the he was in the right place at the right time. He was. He he was absolutely in the right place at the right and time. And we are talking about the Roaring Twenties. Twenties, yeah, and 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 the time preceding it. You know, from about the turn of the century, uh, the, Gilded the, Age, the Gilded Age, Gilded Age, the rise of uh, great uh, industry, manufacturing. manufacturing, and Detroit was the epicenter of that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the city went from you know three hundred thousand at the turn of the century to. Uh, you know, one over one and a half million by uh, 1930. So that's a pretty, pretty amazing, you know. It totally increase. is amazing. Yeah. So he, when he was 19, he had this sketchbook fill of, filled, filled with Gothic churches and architectural aspirations, mm-hmm. I guess, maybe just ideas that he had. And that sketchbook got him a job as a draftsman. At the Detroit firm Rogers and McFarland. McFarland, yeah, and they they're, they're probably most noted for doing a few major projects like the the huge Uniroyal factory uh, that is no more, but that people who have been in Detroit for a while certainly remember across from Belle Isle. And then he kind of um, was adopted, you know, by the mentor George G. Mason. Right. Uh, and, uh, and Mason was called the dean of uh, Detroit architecture for good reason because, I mean, he he had a major commissions. He had a much larger office. He employed some very 
talented people. And he recognized in, in Wirt Roland a, a, just a major talent to develop. And he was very patient with him and um, spent a lot of time mentoring him. And um, that was, and ironically, at the end of Wirt's life, he was back with George Mason working on the Kirk in the Hills. <laughs> I mean, Mason was, you know, much was older than, than Wirt. Uh, and so he was an elderly man, but he, he, in fact, it, uh, I, I think there's, uh, there's like a sculpture that our friend, um, Corrado Parducci did that's, uh, that, that shows him and, uh, George Mason and Wirt Roland. And the owner of the property that, and the person that commissioned the church, um, uh, George. This is at Kirk in the Hills. Yes, Kirk. The in statue the Hills. is at Kirk in the Hills. Yeah, and it, that would be fun to go just find the statue. Well, the statue is is, is like a uh, almost like a gargoyle sort of thing built into uh, into the side of the building, oh. and it shows them like pouring over a um, you know a design. A is plan. it labeled? Um, I. Think you know you could get things. You could to, find. Yeah, you, you could, could find, find it. it. Yeah, yeah it right. sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it was a great partnership, the two of them, uh, right. from you know the get go, and you know were really benefited mm-hmm. from. And he also met there a, a friend named um, August uh, Augustus Odell, Gus Odell, who became a lifelong friend, and um, who was another architect uh, draftsman. And um, later on in the 1930s, where when uh, um, they things had definitely slowed down during the Depression, he and Gus O'Dell got together and, and formed a, par- a partnership. And that the work he did during the uh, 30s was with O'Dell and uh, Albert Kahn. Yes, right. Who we had a previous podcast. Um, he was the subject of a past podcast. Right. And of course, Albert Kahn was was brilliant and was so important to um, the development of, of architecture in, in, in the industrial age. But I think that probably we need to clarify exactly what Albert Kahn's role was with a lot of his buildings. Yes, he was an architect and a brilliant designer himself, but he also was you know the, a corporate head. And as such, he didn't really do the designing. He hired people that did that, you know, at least later on. He was the head of the design team. He was the head of the design team, but he (coughs) did, it wasn't, he didn't come up with the ideas. He picked excellent people that he trusted to, you know, to have these visions and be able to execute them. And um, so it was teamwork. Yeah, it was teamwork. And I would imagine Wirt Roland. Wirt Roland, an and important it, part of that. Team. That's right. He and and uh, um, he was in a partnership then with um, what was his name? Was it George Wilby? Anyway, the they were the chief designers for Albert Kahn, and you know were responsible for so many works that are attributed to Kahn that were really Wirt Roland. Yeah, and some of these are, you know, the Palms Apartment House, which I love that apartment building. It is. It's right on Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually right on Jefferson, right next to the expressway, but close to downtown. I think that's such a beautiful building. And um, that's been 
refab, uh, refurnished lately, and I guess it's in great shape. <coughs> Temple Bethel, mm-hmm. um, right on Woodward, which I hear is under renovation uh, very soon. Um, we've got, you know, Ford Motor Company offices in uh, Highland Park. Um University of Michigan's Hill Auditorium. Yes, that's right. A very gorgeous building. Yeah, and one of the reasons in Ann Arbor. That, yeah, and one of the reasons that um, Hill is, you know, Hill Auditorium is noted for its amazing acoustics, and I think we pointed that out before. And we kind of thought that that was because of Albert Kahn, but it turns out that no, it's because of Wirt Roland. Who was he is the accom- unsung hero. He was an accomplished musician. Really? And, yeah. I he um Wirt Roland was had a, a beautiful uh baritone and bass voice. Oh. He could sing both parts. Oh my and gosh. he actually was in some major productions. Uh his major starring role. Now these were all amateur, but these were these were not like student plays. These were major amateur productions. I mean like Performed at the Detroit Opera House, things like oh, that. Wow. He was in the starring role in the Mikado. That was probably the pinnacle of his uh, musical career. But he always uh, was in various groups. He sang at Temple Bethel. He sang at the um, uh, Central, the the uh, Jefferson Presbyterian Church, which, by the way, he designed. And um, so know, acoustics. So he he understood were acoustics a major perfectly, and he understood, priority. Yeah. And he realized that Hill Auditorium had to be, you know, it's this massive space and it had to be um, so acoustically perfect that you could hear something in the last row. I mean, you could hear clearly. And that's what he did, you know. And it is. It's an acoustical gem. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And, you know, the list of these buildings that he um, is – was uh, a big part of the design, just goes on and on and on. The Detroit Athletic Club, one of my favorite buildings in the city. It's such a beautiful building. The Detroit News Building, um, and you said the General Motors Building. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Well, back before he went he went to work with Khan, he was involved with some early, very important buildings. And this is where he really kind of made his mark. Um he was the, the central designer on the original Pontchartrain Hotel, uh, which you see in classic pictures of uh, Detroit. In the, sadly torn down. Sadly torn down. In fact, it only really had a lifespan of around 20-some years simply because in that short period of time, things really kind of moved on and it because it had uh, this – you know, sort of footprint that couldn't be changed that much. Um, there was just a desire for uh, more modern facilities. Um, but the design itself was great. I mean, one of the things that um, that Wirt Roland brought to the table that was completely different was making sure that all of his uh, great buildings had lots of light and ventilation. I mean, before this, buildings would be constructed, big buildings, and um, half of the buildings did not have outside views. 
They looked in on a little elevator or a shaft or a courtyard or something, and they they didn't have light. They didn't have uh, ventilation. He designed his buildings so that that was not an issue. Everybody had an outside view. And this is what he did in the Pontchartrain. This is what he did in uh, the First National Bank building. Um, this is what he did in the Buell building, which, of course, was one of his first modern gems. Yeah, I noticed those buildings, um, especially if you look at them from the outside, they have kind of a, a, a an unusual, you know, kind of design on the outside where it looks like, you know, for, designed for maximum window space, which yeah. I, evidently that I didn't realize. That's why they have kind yeah. of that. It isn't just it's almost like steps or something. Yes, it isn't just for aesthetic reasons. So that uh, you may have a wing that juts out, but that's so that they can have more outside rooms. You know, more more wind, more outside footage um, that isn't looking on some little dark, cramped alley. Right. So yeah. Um, and and of course, you know, it, there, there's a, a practical financial benefit too. You can charge a lot more for a, a room with a view. There you go. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah. you know, and, and he had some very uh, important uh, collaborators also, mm-hmm. including Italian sculptor Corrado Parducci. Yes, yeah. whose work is. You know, very much on display. Sculptor, stone carver. Oh my I gosh! Yeah, you know, and his uh, he he was used by so many major architects. I mean, we see his work in um, in the David Stodd Building, which was a different design firm, Donaldson. Uh, Meadowbrook Hall, the Meadowbrook ceiling Hall, the of the dining room. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really sculpture on a wall it or is. a ceiling ceiling. It is, yeah. Which no one does anymore. Right. But it's very beautiful. Mary um, Mary Briggs Stratton, the uh, Buabic Pottery. That was another important yeah. collaboration. I mean, he, he collaborated with her and, you know, uh, no matter what firm he was with, um, he always uh, utilized her work and, and – uh, you, uh, it's one of the major influences, uh, particularly on the outside and in the entrances in the Guardian building, you know. Absolutely. So, he, you know, but a simple guy, um, a lifelong bachelor, like you said, mm-hmm. he rented a single room, you know, on uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, which is right. near Waterworks Park near the right. Powabic Pottery Studio. Right, it was. It was. And basically, he stayed there it was forever. A, it was a nice boarding house, you know. And he, he like the, lived in a boarding house. Yeah, and he had the same landlady lady for years and yeah. years and years. Mrs. Grace Ritchie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, he loved cars. I mean, it was the Motor City after all, and he had some so, uh, a couple really nice cars. Except he never drove them um, because he never got a license. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You know, but so, but he he also um, you know was socially he he was prominent in the sense that he had his music, so he belonged to a number of different choral groups and clubs, and he also was um, very important in a number of professional organizations around art and architecture. 
Okay, uh-huh. this is my favorite one. He's a founding member of the Thumbtack the Club. The Thumbtack Club. That's right. And Architects and draftsmen. Yeah, that's That right. sponsored competitions, classes, and building tours. Right. Where is the Thumbtack Club now? That sounds like a fun yeah, club I, to belong I to. I don't know if it um, exists anymore. I, I do know they I, they may have met down at the Scarab, Scarab Club. I'm not sure. But uh, sometime, someplace in Midtown. Um but yeah, he. It became very clear that he was a major. He became a major mentor through these different organizations, to many new draftsmen and architects, just as he had had um, received from people like George Mason and Albert Kahn. You know, um, he. It was sort of paying it forward. Yeah. And that's why many of his, you know, kind of revolutionary ideas and design concepts you wind up seeing in other areas of the country and even the world. That's why in many ways he defines modern architecture. Which is so funny. Yeah. Now, you know, he considered himself a modernist. People look at buildings like the um, – the, the GM building and they look at buildings like the even the Guardian building and they don't think of it necessarily as modern um, because it, – But it has a timeless quality. It does. It Especially does. the Guardian building, I would say. Yeah. Very timeless. Right. And he it, – it's you – know, a lot of people say, oh, it's in the style of – it's in the style of – he really kind of invented his own style. He really did. It's yeah. really hard to yeah. – is this Art Deco? The fact is that – you know, yeah, What the, is it? The fact that he uses stepped arches and things like that, well, yeah, the Mayans used that in their architecture. But he wasn't copying them. No. He just saw – he was just using good design principles. And one thing that, that Michael Smith in his book uh, – Designing Detroit, that's what it's called, about the life of Worth uh, Roland and the rise of Detroit architecture, um, is that – and to the, the casual observer, you may not realize this, but you realize the effects of it. Worth Roland was using a very mathematical eye when he looked at all of his designs. I mean, mathematically, you can kind of grid them out and see that they're based on perfect um, equilateral triangles. Pie or something. Yeah. <laughs> or And I mean, even to the point of saying, oh, rectangles, uh, root two rectangles and root three rectangles. This just occurred to him. And he was not a mathematician. But he, he had gone to Europe when, when he had made enough money at um, – George Mason, he took uh, an extended time off and went to Europe and saw some of the all the favorite buildings and styles he had dreamed about. All his and, Gothic cathedrals. Yeah, and he was especially drawn to the principles of the Greeks, okay, because they were so pure and so uh, – In their design style. Yeah, and, and so mathematically perfect. You know, so no matter what – no matter – no matter what uh, kind of style he was adopting, and he used many, he would the basic uh, basis of it was always this kind of mathematical proportion. It's probably just the way his mind worked. Yeah, right. And so that's why people, even uh, regardless of the style, are kind of drawn to his structures. 
because there's something that that you can't quite symmetry. Yeah, and it just all adds up. There's a there was a name for it that was coined, and it was called dynamic symmetry. <laughs> dynamic sim- symmetry. I would agree with that description. You know? and, Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, one of the things that, that Michael Smith, who is himself a draftsman, does is he's taken classic Roland buildings and superimposed uh, a mathematical grid on it showing how everything lines up perfectly to be aesthetically pleasing to the eye and proportional. It's so interesting. And, you know, I have also heard that there is a connection between, say, math and music. Yes, right. And that was his other huge interest. It was. Was music. Yeah, it was. I don't think there's, you know... I mean, the all the research seems to show that if you want your kids to really excel in how in 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 STEM areas in uh, in in math and science and engineering, have them play an instrument, have them use their voice. Yes, yeah. And you know, recently um, I was talking to some people at the medical school at Oakland University, and. You know, they've just opened up dorms for them and they have a grand piano in there and they have other musical instruments because they said 95% of the medical students play a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Yeah. Well, one of the things my, my son at uh, Michigan State when he was in the uh, the band, the marching band there, uh, most of his bandmates were not music majors. They were like engineering students. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's amazing. So, um, yeah, it's just – it's a beautiful, you know, building, the Guardian building, just as beautiful as um, – you know, I would say that's probably – if you're going to go look at one mm-hmm. example of words, work – Go to the Guardian building. Yeah, but I mean, I'm very anxious to go now to Kirk in the Hills and kind of wander around there also. Right. It is. Uh, Kirk in the Hills is gorgeous. Now, it's it's not what you would associate. I mean, you can't imagine anything that at least on the surface seems more different than the Guardian building except for that sense of proportion and balance and, um, you know, using just the, the finest beautiful materials. Um you know what else always strikes me about the Guardian building is his use of color. Yes, right. Turquoise. Right. Almost kind of an orange. I mean, all these really unexpected colors and that you don't think of. No. And that, you know, I mean, the the, the building is built with brick um, that uh, he actually designed the color of those for those bricks. And uh, they were called Guardian Brick, and they were actually sold to other companies. I mean, you could buy Guardian Brick, and it was named for that building. For the Guardian building. Yeah. Uh, another one to to really take a second look at is the Penobscot building, of course. Um, it's it uh, it doesn't have the color uh, in in the case of the Penobscot. Um, it uses uh, form and um, Mass, massive slabs of um, concrete and terracotta, and a, particularly as you rise toward the top, um, it has a lot of similarities with southwestern Pueblo style. 
If you just take uh, – if you like look at the top third of the building, it's like looking at the um, uh, Taos Pueblo. That have you ever crazy. noticed that? With the, I have not, but I yeah, will take another look yes, at it next the, time I'm down yeah, there. The, with the uh, you know the the stepped setbacks leading up to the top. Yeah, you know, that's what it seems like to me. You know, these like it's like stairway or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it really is. And I notice that that's kind of you know a part of the Guardian Building inside too. You notice these like step thing, step designs all over in the lobby and where mm-hmm. the where the elevators are. And- That's right. Um, I discovered a uh, a building that our listeners can actually go down and see. Um, and I don't know if it's in use now or not, but fortunately it's still there. It's called the Saturday Night Building. And um, it was – there was a, uh, uh, a newspaper that was published in Detroit in the 20s and 30s. Called and Saturday 40s. Night? Saturday Night Detroit. <laughs> that is a riot. And um, it's a an Art Deco gem that's down on East Jefferson. Um, it's right up out, out on the street, and it's just beautiful. It um, On Jefferson, like near Belle Isle? Or no, not that far down at all. It's closer to the city? Closer to the city, yeah. On which side of Jefferson? Is it on uh, the side? On the north side. On yeah. the north side. Right. And it's called the Saturday Night Club. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the club. It was the Saturday Night Building. The Saturday and, Night Building. And they actually, uh, it had, well, just like the Detroit, Detroit News Building, uh, much of it had, had to be room for a large printing press because they actually published right. they, this. Right, yeah, yeah, when they yeah. actually printed newspapers. Yeah. Right. Before the internet was born. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, there are a lot of, you know, examples of his work all over the city. And, you know, it just takes a little bit of, um, you know, kind of research. Well, around the state, too. If you go to um, Flint, the major building there is the uh, the bank building, which was uh, one of his major works. Um, he actually uh, – you will see similarities right away. Um, to the Guardian building. Really? Yes. On the outside? On the outside and the inside. You'll and see, the inside. You'll see uh, stepped arches. You'll see... You can um, go inside that building? Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's still... It's, a ba- what it is it? may the, still be a bank building. The bank building. Yeah, and um, I'm trying to think... Another cathedral of finance? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but it's got a pretty impressive lobby. Um, it doesn't have the color, but it does have the design. And another thing it has is um, the use of space-age metals. You know, oh, just, yeah. Just like the uh, Monel metal Monel, was, right. u- was used uh, on, on, you know, like that magnificent grid that the uh, Tiffany clock is in between right. the main lobby and the and the Yeah, uh, it, describing chamber. the Monel, it's almost like, it's a little bit like wrought iron, but... Right. It's like a brushed aluminum. Yeah. And he used aluminum a lot too. Uh-huh. Um, you but know. it really comes in handy for some sort of a decorative design mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Very different. I don't – So the, the, the Flint Bank building uh, is impressive and um, it's – I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Also, the uh, major bank building uh, in Saginaw. Is uh, Wirt Roland, oh. and um, he used some amazing designs there. Um, 
either Flint or Saginaw may have been, he didn't realize it at the time, but may have been his last skyscraper simply because, you know. The depression. The depression hit. Yeah. And, and really, Roland would be a household name now had it not been for the depression. Mm. Because during that 10 years, you know, there, nothing, there happened. Just not, nothing happened. I yeah. shouldn't say nothing. The, he, he was working with Gus Hotel. They were doing smaller projects. They were building house, homes. They built the, um, the house of the future for the um, 19, oh, I think maybe 34, 36 uh, exposition in Chicago. Oh. You know, I mean, there, certainly um, things were happening. But it wasn't happening on the same scale. No. And uh, there was just no building around the country and particularly as, you know, Detroit's a boomer bust town. Yeah. And yeah. when things go – We've certainly when seen When things that. are bad, it's worse here than right. almost anywhere. So, you know, um, he was the, the head designer and the brilliant star of the uh, Smith, Hinchman and Grills. He was fired because they went down to like two people, you know. So um, he, he he no longer had a position, and because he, unlike people like Albert Kahn, he never like owned the company. He he wasn't hadn't wasn't a partner in right. the company. He was just their star, you know. He he was expendable. So um, that's what happened to him. Had had the depression not happened, and that kind of boom that happened in the twenties just continued. Everybody would have known who he was because he would have continued making these amazing um, buildings uh, and probably beyond Detroit too. You know, but the great – one of the great things about Comic City, which is – and even since we've started this podcast, Ed, I mean the – you know, the new development and the redevelopment mm -hmm. of Detroit has just been mind-blowing. It really is. Uh, and, you know, we're getting a chance to showcase now all these. And I'm so happy that Detroit is redeveloping these gorgeous old buildings. Right. Like, and we've talked about this, and I think our one of our uh, last podcast, the Shinola Building, which was mm -hmm. also we're rolling, yes, yeah, and I mean, it, now we're getting a chance to see all this beautiful architecture that's been hidden and abandoned and neglected, mm -hmm. and now gorgeously restored. Yeah, and I think the modern architects are realizing that. You know, there's the famous phrase, if I have seen further, it's from standing on the shoulders of giants. They realize that predecessors like were Roland were so important to uh, the field that now they are contributing to that they don't want to replace that. They don't want to tear that down. Um, they, they realize that in a vibrant, growing city, dynamic city, there's room for lots of different styles, old and new, and remembering kind of the past and how we got here. So I think that it's it's super exciting to go downtown and see brand new, um, fabulously, um, you know, spectacular buildings like the proposed 
uh, Hudson Block building. Yeah. You know, that that's going to be a brand new building. Yeah, that's going to be brand new. It's right it's an next amazing to design. Shinola. Right next to 1950 rail building Shinola designed by Wirt Rowland. And, you know, that new um, hotel that's opened in the Metropolitan Building, which was just completely redone. I mean, the that building is gorgeous also. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that right. they have fixed that building up and turned it into something so spectacular inside in because some, it yeah. is such a gorgeous design on the outside. In New York, that would have been down, that would have been torn down this was and, the... Trump, and Trump Tower would have been built. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we've had, we've seen that too. I mean, why did they implode Hudson's? Mm-hmm. That would have been wonderful to leave that up and turn that into a fancy, you know, hotel. Or apartments. It could have been repurposed. It absolutely. could have been, absolutely. Yeah. Right. They could have done something with that. I mean, really, you know, like we said, you know, there are a lot of buildings in Detroit that aren't there anymore. But thank goodness, um, I think the city just didn't even have the money to tear <laughs> some of these buildings down. And, you know, now and, – and, and the rehab they're doing is first class. Nobody's doing – you know, a half-assed job on anything. No. They are just going at it. I, You know, I stayed at the Shino Hall Hotel recently, and the doors to the rooms are so heavy. And, you know, they're just they're just so solid. And the shower, our room was really tiny. We didn't get an expensive room. But both my husband and I said, this is the most gorgeous shower we've ever been in in our lives. <laughs> I mean, just the tile work and just the quality of everything is so beautiful. And I'm seeing that in the Metropolitan Building. It's so lovely what they're doing, and they're just doing it, you know, uh, first class all the way. Right. And that's really how these buildings were built. That was the hallmark of of these structures that went up in the teens and the 20s in the uh, – in the 20th century, that it, they they were, you know, substantial buildings made with wonderful materials. And, you know, that's that's what made them so special, so great. And so it's really nice that, you know, the, the, that we're going back to that ideal. And, you know, it is wonderful. And, and I'm glad we're doing this podcast because, you know, we owe it all to – we owe these beautiful buildings to some amazing minds. And, you know, up at the top of that list is Wirt Rowland. I mean, Albert Kahn, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. he led the, the team, but Wirt was the genius. Right. And because he had, he, because he was such a good mentor to all of these people, as some of them left Detroit and moved on to different areas, guess what? A lot of Wirt Rowland's ideas kind of appear. Now, Michael Smith, um, who has written his biography, uh, is certainly speculating here, but I think it makes perfect sense. You can look at a whole lot of major um, American architects from the, you know, the 20s on in other parts of the country and trace it back to associations they had with Wirt Rowland or where they, they, they were likely to have been influenced by him. For instance, the Chrysler Building, and yeah. it, it, you know, Wirt Rowland's name, probably is not New York's anywhere. most beautiful building. Well, yeah. Well, guess what? 
Um, it, it was designed by uh, a name a man by name Van Allen, but uh, Walter P. Chrysler, who commissioned the building, was also very interested and knowledgeable about architecture, and he had been on the bank, uh, the board of um, uh, of the various banks in Detroit, working with Wirt Roland, and actually sang with him in the same choir. Oh, is that I mean, funny? Um, so, and, and Chrysler um, actually changed the design a lot before the, the building was actually completed. And you can see a whole lot of Wirt Roland-esque uh, yeah, kind stylistic of those stair-step type, you know, designs. Added, that he right. added to it. Now, yeah. you could say maybe he did this all on his own. But the fact was he he had been associated with and admired the work of Wirt Roland here in Detroit. So it made sense that when he made his his jewel in New York that he would use some of those elements. And that's what happened. The same thing happened with the architects who are responsible for the Miami style. South Beach. Oh, yeah. The, um, many of those elements. That whole Art Deco yeah, mecca. Yeah. Uh, many of those draw on principles that, you know, they learned or from their association with Wirt Rowan. Yeah. You know, the, the whole streamlined architecture movement. That's great. Art modern. Well, it's been really fun, you know, finding out um, about this guy who has designed our favorite buildings. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else said that you wanted to say about him? Or, well, I I've just decided that I'm going to uh, put together a little tour. Um, the Wirt Roland tour. The Wirt Roland tour. I think that's a great idea. That's right. It's a way of tying together some of my favorite spots, like Ann Arbor. He's responsible for yes. about half of the classic buildings at the University of Michigan. Um, you know, Detroit buildings, just going to some of the schools, many of which still exist. I mean, you know, in between um, his gigs with uh, George Mason and Albert Kahn, and then the Smith, Hilschman, and Grills, he worked for the major architectural firm that did most of the Detroit schools during this huge acceleration of population in Detroit where they needed Wonderful. schools. Wonderful. Yeah. And so a lot of those still exist. Some of them are derelict buildings, but, you know, the bones are still there. So I love it. Yeah. So this tour is going to include Ann Arbor, Detroit. Mm-hmm. Maybe Flint, Saginaw? Flint, Saginaw. I want to go on this tour. Grand Rapids also has a major. Has I ma- want to go on this tour. a major bank building by uh, This sounds great. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, there's our plan for the future. Sounds good. It sounds really we'll good. It. Yes. All right. Well, um, I think that wraps it up. And uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us on our journey. Once again, into Detroit's past, present, and future. And uh, we invite you all to explore the Comeback City. Absolutely. 